0: Definitely the evolution of Made in Vietnam to Make in Vietnam. It requires to learn from more developed ecosystems such as U.S. Beside tech, uh, education, we would invest more in technology learning, like AI application among the industry. And we're going to push for more digital transformation for enterprises.
1: Welcome to Brave. Learn from Southeast Asia's best leaders. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. No BS on success. I'm Jeremy Au, venture capitalist, serial founder, Harvard MBA, science fiction nerd, and dad of two daughters. Every week, we debate startup news, interview changemakers, answer listener questions, and share personal insights. Join our movement of over 40,000 members and get transcripts, resources, and community at www.bravesea.com. Stay well and stay brave. Are you expanding or launching a business in the Philippines? Ensuring your employees' good health is key to attracting and retaining top talent. That's where Hive Health comes in, especially for startups and small to medium-sized businesses. They specialize in providing top quality and hassle-free healthcare plans tailored to your workplace. Learn more at www.ourhivehealth.com. Dot com. Hey, Valerie, really excited to have you on this show. Vietnam is huge and it's start of a new year, so looking forward to hearing what you have to think about it.
0: Hey, Jeremy. Happy New Year and I hope you had a good break. And yeah, I'm excited to return to the show. Personally, I took a break as well. So I'm um, excited to discuss what's ahead for Vietnam. Yeah.
1: And so before we talk about what's in the future, you have to talk about what happened over the last 2023, right? What are the biggest developments that we had? And also that encompasses a lot of stuff that actually happened in November, December that we didn't get discussed because both of us were busy taking a holiday. So Valerie, what would you say are the big things that you think happened for our 2023?
0: Yeah, I would like to conclude with a positive note. So I would talk about the not so positive note first. So 2023 was a bit challenging year for Vietnam, especially with like headwinds from global economic uncertainties, the anti-corruption campaign that swiped a lot of real estate companies and and, and projects in the market. Regardless, we still have positive economic growth of 5.05%, which is good. But it's below our government and national assembly target. So the national assembly target for last year was 6.5%. So it's not ideal that we did not meet the growth expectation. But if you look at the whole ASEAN region and all the developing countries, it's still a very positive signal and positive growth. And Vietnam attracted really a strong FDI capital growth uh, in 2023, reaching more than $36 which is a 32% year-on-year growth coming from more than a hundred different countries and territories. And then I think another really strong standing point is we are moving forward. We establish strong external relations. So we welcome President Biden in September and establish a comprehensive partnership with the U.S. And then a few months later, back in December, we also welcome President Xi Jinping, and then he also promised more partnership and also more infrastructure development and, and investment into Vietnam. So it's really showing how we are putting ourselves as a very important country in the regions. So even though we had a lot of challenges and we did not meet our growth expectation of 2023, I'm so looking forward to 2024 where our government is having a target growth of between 6 to 6.5% and really increase our GDP per capita to 4,700 USD. And also the government has a really strong target of Increasing the contribution of manufacturing and processing to our GDP, increasing our average productivity growth. They are also aiming to reduce the agricultural workforce. So really aggressive in moving to the goal of making Vietnam to be a developed country in in the future. So yeah, that's what the government is putting ahead for 2024.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Sounds like there's two major parameters that we're talking about. One is, I think, the actual economy versus the economy that the government has been planning for. And the second, like you said, is the kind of global regional dynamics where, you know, the relationships with the US and China are a big mm. parts of it as well as the FDI in terms of investment flows. I guess for the US-China, Vietnam one is probably what's all over the news. I mean, it was like the Biden trip and the Seating Ping yeah. trip. And I was reading it and I was like, oh, this is like those Korean drama love triangle dynamic where Vietnam is being uh, wooed by two different guys.
0: Yeah, but like the, the industry that we are establishing the relationship with each country is quite different. So, so for the US, we are asking for more like investment into the semiconductor and high technology and manufacturing industry. And for China, I think it's more leaning toward like infrastructure, like road train development, given how. China has been putting up for the Swim Road development. So yeah. they promised to help us build more like public transportation, road, train, etc. So very different kind of targets here.
1: Yeah, and I think it's interesting because, you know, when you read the headlines, very much like, okay, President Biden visit, okay, Vietnam is all in on America. Then you read the Chinese headlines, and it looks like Vietnam, oh no, it's going all in on China. And I'm like, hey, I think Vietnam is looking to take care of Vietnam's interests first. And it yeah. is neutral slash taking benefit of the situation to maximize what they can, right? So I don't think there's a specific, I don't know what's the word, binary, are you in or out kind of dynamic that a lot of the headlines are pushing for.
0: Yeah, I don't agree with the all in kind of tap lie either because we cannot choose either party entirely given our yeah. geographic location. Like China is very important for us, it's, it's a big brother. If you look back in the history, they helped a lot in the Vietnam War and also for the US. Ever since we reopened our economic partnership, it also helped tremendously with our economic growth because most of made in Vietnam products, the largest buyers are from the US. So it's hard to say we can go all in on anyone. I think it's let's just be friends and kind of do business (laughs) with everyone rather than having to choose one side over another.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think most countries in ASEAN and Southeast Asia have that mentality. It's just that the headlines are all, it's very boring if you wrote that headline, right? Which is like, hey, let's all be friends and trade and make money together. I just think that the headlines are very like, I think they have this interest in making like a seesaw mentality, which is, okay, this half the year is US. Okay, the other half of the year, clearly Vietnam is China. And then there's a bit of a seesaw dynamic, which is I think good for headlines. But as someone from Southeast Asia, I'm like, it's a bit too sensationalist about it as well. Yeah. I think what's interesting, of course, is that you mentioned that Vietnam is looking to maximize the benefits of the economy from both the US and from China. And I think we talked about the other side, which is that the economy was underperforming versus government expectations. And, you know, when I was visiting a couple times in Vietnam you and I were hanging out once and I was asking you about hey, we are this prime district and we saw quite a few shops that were closed and I was kind of curious what's going on because if you have this belief as a very hot economy you won't see so many shops that close or shuttered. So could you share a little bit more, Valerie, about what happened in 2023 for that?
0: Yeah, so I would count of that mostly to the decrease in the export because there's like a huge plunge in made-in-Vietnam products from a country like US or Europe and also the effect of Anti-corruption campaign. So anti-corruption campaign touches a lot on fast-growing industry and uh, have high-value industries such as real estate. So people immediately lost like a lot of their income or jobs that were mostly tagged by real estate. So immediately they have to correct their spending and also like their mindset, uh, spending behavior. So that's why I think consumer in, in Vietnam went through a major correction last year, tightened their budget. And that's why a lot of street shop house, consumer facing shop, have to close down and that's why you saw a lot of uh, empty shops in the most expensive real estate piece in Vietnam last year. That's the two largest reason why.
1: And so I think this is actually a good transition which is that what do we think the economy is going to happen? What do you think we are going to see in 2024 from your perspective?
0: Yeah, in 2024, National Assembly, like I mentioned, half-target of GDP growth of 6 to 6.5%. And to do this, we need to do more quantitative easing, kind of relax more credit to SMEs. So that's what I'm expecting for this year. More credit given to SMEs, to business owners. That's the only way to uh, fuel the growth to their target of 6 6- to 6.5% and also kind of the government has been really encouraged the growth of digital economy changing the mindset from made in Vietnam to make in Vietnam it sounds like not too much difference but the make in Vietnam meaning like we own the technology and we kind of pivot from lower value products such as textile or garment industry to more software and also semiconductors and hardware kind of elements electronics etc in the economy so The Ministry of Science and Technology and also Ministry of Information and Communication have been really, I guess, pushing for the agenda of having more make-in-Vietnam products. And I guess that's why the largest technology corporate in Vietnam, FPT Corp, has been also investing in U.S. tech startups so that they can learn the technology from U.S. and bring it back to Vietnam. So, yeah, they invested in Lending.ai, founded by Andrew Ng. And I think that's a really strategic investment because FPT software, their largest revenue, is mostly from like outsourcing, but they you want to move up from outsourcing and bring in more deep technology into Vietnam and in. Fuel the dream of making Vietnam products to happen. Yeah,
1: I think that's a really great assessment there because there's an interesting part where everybody in Southeast Asia is trying to move up the value chain. Singapore is okay. where it is because he also was moving out the value chain. I mean, Singapore also used to have a made-in-Singapore story and then they also transitioned to try to make more in Singapore. So try to move up in terms of the capital assets and the manufacturing and the technology needed. I'm so curious because you mentioned a forecast uh, that the government has had. Are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? about the economy, you know, exceeding or falling short of that target?
0: So I'm I'm always an optimistic person. So I think we will meet the target. But 2024 in general, mm-hmm. I think it's still going to be a challenging year. But the recovery is coming on its way because we, we have a major national congress meeting in uh, Q1 2025. And a lot of economic simulation will come into support for the economy. So in order for that meeting in want one 2025 to be successful, 2024, we have to show our major progress. So I'm positive that 2024, we will be able to meet National Assembly target role for 6 to 6.5%. I'm curious about
1: what are the implications of the 2025 Congress, for example, in yeah, China, to some extent. Obviously, there's a succession dynamic as well. Also, it changes some of the economic decisions about which industries to favor, of prioritize versus industries to deprioritize, right? So, I think we saw that, for example, in China, their Congress effectively years ago has caused the deprioritization of real estate, right, and the prioritization mm-hmm. of domestic consumption as the new engine, and the deprioritization of some big tech companies as well as education tech, but the prioritization of semiconductor, hardware, and manufacturing, and electric vehicles. So, I'm curious mm-hmm. as you look down. The next few years. What do you think are some implications of the Congress or which directions it could potentially go based on the Congress?
0: Yeah, so we actually take a lot of learning from China, and that's why we did a major anti corruption campaign in the real estate sector. So we definitely deprioritize real estate and correct the value of real estate to. What it should be in terms of deprioritization, I don't think consumer and edtech would be the ones, just because we are still very in like nascent stage of having our own and our strong consumer industry as well as education Vietnamese as we mentioned in previous episodes, really prioritize for education and we still send a, a lot of international students to countries like US, Australia, Canada every year. So definitely not those two industries, but obviously real estate. What are we prioritizing? I think definitely EV. If you read the news, watch the news the past few days, actually the founder and chairman of VIN Group actually became Vinfast CEO. Previously, the CEO was Miss Madame Thuy, but now... The founder actually came in and become the CEO. So really show his commitment. And also given the size and the importance of Group to Vietnam economy, you can clearly see the government and also the corporate placing EV as one of the major industry for the country. So EV, um, and then next I would say you know, more digital economy, semiconductors. We have been in talk and we invited NVIDIA founder and CEO, Jensen Huang to Vietnam. He's kind of entertained the idea that like he would open a factory of a fab in Vietnam. But he also said the same thing to other neighboring countries such as Malaysia. So we don't know, but we invited Jensen Huang to Vietnam for a reason. So I would say like semiconductors and I would say lastly, cloud computing. Vietnam aims to have more digital enterprises and even government agency right now being forced to use cloud computing using internet data centers in uh, yeah, Vietnam right now, data center market is still very in infancy. So the room for growth is still huge. A lot of corporate enterprise will have to invest in uh, data center, in cloud computing. And what's
1: interesting is that this was a question that was by a listener in our previous episode of the question about cloud computing a. when you think about cloud computing obviously there's two parts right one is the building of cloud centers data storage facilities and the other side of course is the adoption by businesses and government individuals a. for cloud compute what are the factors in play for Vietnam
0: I think the factors right now is we have many local mainly investment by local technology and telecom businesses that are investing and in building new internet data centers so the leaders uh, of the country in this sector would be VNPT, which is a state-owned enterprise, and then VTEL, another state-owned enterprise that focuses on telecommunication, and then a few, and followed by some smaller private enterprises such as CMC Corporation, VMG, which you are also familiar with. They also have their own data center at smaller scale comparing to the state-owned enterprise one. And there's a lot of talk between the Google in Amazon AWS to actually build data centers in Vietnam in the future. This, this discussion has been going on for years that in the future, if a foreign enterprise or foreign MNC like Amazon or Google If they want to operate in Vietnam, they have to establish a data center within Vietnam, within the Vietnam lane. But that discussion has not legalized yet. So there's no enforcement yet, but I know that Google and AWS team are well aware and they are planning for this. I think AWS is a bit ahead of Google in terms of this moving and building a data center in Vietnam. no.
1: what's interesting is that a lot of this has to do with this Chinese thing, right, which is the U.S.-China relationship kind of fracturing quite a bit. So, for example, the semiconductor, China's busy building a semiconductor industry to have resilience. Vietnam is building a semiconductor industry because people are not trusting the Taiwan security of their supply of semiconductors hey. so they want to build. In Vietnam, there's engineers, the US side. But electric vehicles is quite interesting as well because you can imagine that Vietnam is going to be competing with the Chinese manufacturers of EV as well. Is it? More because it's happening because there's competition or is it happening more because there's actually synergies across the borders between Vietnam and China?
0: I was saying more of uh, competition. In terms of synergy, there's definitely like synergy between like, because of how, how close we are with China. But we don't have competitive advantage or moat in the industry, I would say. Most of the battery are owned by Chinese suppliers. Yes. So they own the suppliers and supply chain and battery is like more than fifty percent cost of making a electronic vehicle. So yeah. I don't honestly I don't think we really have a competitive advantage in the industry. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah,
1: because I think semiconductor has a competitive advantage called US is willing to have a China plus one strategy, so that's a competitive strategic tailwind in that sense. Whereas I think for the EV side, it feels like so far the world seems like this is not a national security concern in the same way, so it's a little bit more harmonious in terms of trade barriers and flows. But like you said, therefore, in that case, that I don't really see the competitive advantage for Vietnam. I think the way I think about it as well is that it's not only about being able to manufacture the battery but also being mm-hmm. able to recycle and process the battery after it's used because if you're able to do that, then you can lower the cost of the vehicle away from the cost of the entire battery, like us said, over 50% and mm-hmm. 60%, and can actually mm-hmm. transform it to the cost of the usage. So you take the manufacturing cost minus the recycling and processing cost, that differential divided by 10,000 charges is your cost of the vehicle, right? So that's actually yeah. a huge competitive advantage because China cannot only Manufacture, but they can also process and recycle the battery because they had a processing side right so i think it's very hard for anybody in the world to compete with the chinese battery blue chain
0: yeah i agree yeah
1: very very difficult because i think singapore is trying to build battery recycling but we don't do battery manufacturing so without that you don't have the whole flywheel I think America is also trying to do more battery manufacturing because they actually have the, the raw minerals but they don't mm-hmm. have the ability to do the processing and recycling really afterwards because it's such a environmentally I wouldn't say taxing but you need a lot of requirements
0: mm-hmm. to do so and
1: you need a lot of government support as well. So when you look at all of this, I'm just kind of curious, what are your hopes for the Vietnamese startup ecosystem?
0: Yeah, so it's because it seems like semiconductor will be the next frontier for Vietnam economy growth. And what we discussed from a few episodes ago, we still lacking a lot of qualified engineers to be able to accommodate for all of the FDI and all of the, especially in like semiconductor chain moving to Vietnam. So I'm I'm hoping that startup in Vietnam can catch that way, helping with our productivity growth, helping with increasing more digital businesses to thrive in Vietnam, because our goal is to make digital economy constitute for at least like 30% of our GDP, whereas right now it's about 10%. So our room for growth is still huge. So I would say that I'm more excited about the startup that target like the productivity and increasing labor skill set for Vietnam.
1: I think for myself, I agree with you about education tech. Seems to be pretty hot still. Obviously, there were some education tech failures over the past few years. But I think there's still a big hunger by the middle class. So I think it's less about the demand side, but more about the supply side, having issues like founders not knowing how to scale that with the right unit economics and the right operational efficiency. For me, when I look at Vietnam, I think it's going to be interesting because the semiconductor tailwind is actually quite essential as part of the value chain. If this push actually manages to sustain over a 10 or 20-year time frame, I think people don't really understand, but Singapore used to have actually a very strong silicon industry about Eh. 10 years to 20 years ago. And unfortunately, most of that hollowed out, right? A lot of it went to Penang in Malaysia, but also, frankly, most of it went to Taiwan and to China as well because it was such a low cost of production place. So I think if this push really allows Vietnam to have that 20-year time frame. I think there's actually a lot of fundamental companies that actually come out if you do silicon and semiconductor. Like you can do say graphics cards with Jason Huang and Nvidia. But actually there's a lot of compute data center companies. I think this is basically a value chain that you can really move up. And I don't think it's necessarily an investment thesis that can bear fruit today. But I think it's actually a really interesting piece which is, yeah, can you imagine Vietnam becoming the TSMC of yeah. the world? Then yeah. actually there's going to be a very interesting evolution slash technology tree that will come up
0: from it. Yeah definitely like the evolution of made in Vietnam to make in Vietnam. I honestly, I don't know like how many steps or how hard that is to make that happen but it definitely de- requires to learn from more developed ecosystems such as US that's why FPT invested in lending AI. So I would assume that we would invest more, besides te- uh, education, we would invest more in like technology learning, like AI application among the industry, and we're going to push for more digital transformation for enterprises. That's my hope for Vietnam in this year.
1: Yeah, I think a big mistake that Singapore did was that there was a, at a time, an assumption that engineers was not really a really good profession to advocate for in Singapore, and so yeah. one of the big decisions they made was like teaching engineering students about how to manage other engineers. It for example, countries like India or in the rest of the world. And so I think without that deep tech or you can say that fundamental understanding of hardware as well, then you don't get all the building blocks for the rest of the ecosystem. And yeah. I don't know, I mean, like I'm not an expert on some of this stuff, but I think that if you look at Silicon Valley, it's called Silicon Valley because it started Silicon Valley. and then Everything else got layered on top of it. A lot of the deep tech, a lot of the R&D. Even ChatGPT and OpenAI is very much based on a fundamental understanding of both hardware and software, right? And yeah. it's interesting to see that Singapore kind of gave up that lead in that sense on the hardware side to focus on mm. software and more importantly, focusing less on software engineers and focusing more on engineering managers, right? So I think yeah. it makes sense from a population perspective. Maybe there's not enough density of engineers and so, so forth. But I think it's interesting to see that the Vietnam side really take off. And I think that's why we see a lot of Singaporean engineering companies hiring a lot actually in Vietnam now. When I was in Vietnam, I was meeting a lot of the Singaporean companies that were just hiring like 10, 50, 100, 200 engineers in Vietnam, and they're supposed to work with Singapore HQ, but I think it's an interesting partnership, I would say.
0: Yeah, I think not only Singaporean company building their tech team in Vietnam, right? There's some many like American companies, Australian companies, they all realize how good software engineers or tech talents Vietnam is. So a lot of them actually have their some of their tech team in Vietnam. So like Synopsys, Atlassian, yeah, many more.
1: Well, I think it would be interesting because I think that's where the flywheel is, which is you have all these technical talent that's being trained now and speaking with a government agency in Singapore. And i basically said, hey, I don't have an issue with us outsourcing. At having a great team in Vietnam. But I think what would be interesting is everybody who's a junior engineer in Vietnam, the next company is going to be a senior engineering manager leadership, right? And the next company hey. after that, they're going to become CEOs and co-founders after that, right? So honestly, only two, I don't know, talent cycles away from a new generation of Vietnamese startups that are highly technical and well-trained. And I was like, I said, there's not a competitive binary zero-something between Singapore and Vietnam, but is this an interesting dynamic where these are the flows of capital and talent that we're seeing? So I think think that's good news for the Vietnamese ecosystem for sure. And I think also to some extent, it's not replicated in the rest of Southeast Asia. So if you look at Indonesia or the Philippines or Thailand, I think the focus on engineering and the focus on training engineers and that talent pool And also combining that with people outsourcing that talent role for technical teams to work remotely. It's actually quite a unique combination for Vietnam.
0: Yeah. So before this recording, I was mentoring for an university incubation. And yeah, that was my feedback as well. They had a good idea and kind of agenda of building a university incubation. But the agenda was more tethering into like the business students. And I feel like they lack the incorporation of the technology engineering students, which you might not know or heard of the university name before, but they are actually like top tier engineering university of Vietnam. So I'm just quite amazed. I'm still quite amazed by how passionate young people, young Vietnamese are with like entrepreneurship and they spend extra time outside of the school, outside of their work to invest in this university incubation.
1: When you meet university students in Vietnam, What do you notice about them?
0: Yeah, so most of them are really curious, really hungry. But some of the business students tend to hang out together and kind of forget about the technology, the STEM and engineering students. So there's not a lot of cross-section between the non-business and the business students together. So I'm hoping that there will be more like hackathon between both a business student and non-business students. But overall, most of them are very curious and really want to like advance in their career planning. The only thing is right now they are still attracted by big names, big consulting, big tech or big banks name. But I think in the near future, the culture will change and they will be more attracted to like startup
1: yeah hopefully so i mean i also Mm. teach entrepreneurship at the universities in singapore like national university of singapore and singapore management Mm -hmm. university one thing i would say is that don't worry the business students in singapore also don't hang out the engineer in singapore oh really oh i didn't know that it's a common problem i think it's just that business people are you know i think they should hang out out
0: more yeah they should hang out more with each other yeah yeah Yeah. i think
1: i would say that that's an interesting dynamic and hopefully we'll see more cross-pollination, not only across different faculties like business and engineering, also (laughs) across different countries as well. On that note, I'd love to wrap things up and summarize the three big takeaways I got from this conversation. First of all, I thought it was really fascinating to hear about the reflections on 2023. It was nice to hear about the underperformance of the Vietnamese economy versus the government target, as well as the love triangle between Vietnam, USA, and China in terms of what it shows up in headlines versus what is actually the strategic incentives and imperatives for Vietnam. Secondly, thanks for sharing about what you expect for two zero two four. I'm glad to hear about your optimism that there will be both stimulus and a focus on economy by policymakers in Vietnam. Uh, and that you do believe that there will be a very strong effort to hit the six to six point five percent GDP growth target and lastly thanks for sharing some of the root causes that really driving this It was nice to dive into the semiconductor side dive into infrastructure dive into the educational outlook and spirit of the next generation so looking forward to catch up with you next time
0: thank you jeremy and looking forward for our next discussion
1: thank you for listening to brave if you enjoyed this episode please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues We would also appreciate you leaving a rating or review. Head over to www.bravesea.com for member content, resources, and community. Stay well and stay brave.